Well, good morning. Um, what a great set for us to get into here today and continue what we were singing about, because today is so much about how what God is doing is, is bigger than any one of us. And at the same time, what's happening in us as individuals contributes to all of that. Uh, it was fun that the uh, first song this last set, I loved singing that in Spanish. It, it takes me back to being at Manuel Children's Home and being with brothers and sisters um, from different countries singing in, in different languages. That was neat. That second song that we did, um, some of you know Callie, formerly Berglund. She wrote that song. And uh, so that was really fun. And three-chord Chris taught her everything she knows about music at, uh, back in youth group days. And then this last one, Jill didn't know this because uh, I didn't know this till this week, that uh, I was, it's a Carrie Job song and we're going to reference her. So it's just fun. God, he, he's doing stuff. And so I do hope, as she prayed, that we'll be open to listening today. I think he's got some things he wants to say. Well, um, this weekend was a great weekend for a lot of reasons for me. But one, I got to be a part of our covenant, our region. We're part of the covenant denomination. And our region had our annual meeting um, this weekend. So the covenant churches from, uh, let's see, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, North Dakota, South Dakota, we got together at Salem Covenant. And we had this big meeting. And I've been a part of a lot of different denominations. But I've never been part of a partnership like this that is so real and so supportive, and it was just encouraging. The, the church family that we're a part of, this bigger church family, they're united behind so many good things. Um, they are united in our desire to see people personally walking closely with God. That, that really is our desire. In fact, one of the things they challenged us on, they said, pastors, don't let your metrics be about bodies and uh, 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 bucks, I think, and then some other thing like that, three Bs that we're supposed to help you remember <laughs> the three, right? Um, <laughs> I should have wrote things down, right? Um, take notes. But anyway, so it was great. But this whole idea of just a personal walk with God, we're united in our doctrine that the Bible is our standard for belief and conduct. We really take the scriptures really seriously. Um, we're related, we're, we're connected by this idea that we can do more together. In fact, that's the whole reason we have a denomination, not because we have it all figured out by any means, but because we can do more together. We can do things for our teenagers with camps and all that we couldn't do alone. We can do things in missions. We can start new churches, all of this. And then we're also really, really committed to when we try to reach out, we reach out with both words and deeds instead of words or deeds or deeds or words, both words and deeds. So there's a lot that we have in common, a lot that we have in common, and yet it is possibly the most diverse denomination on the planet. Um, I say that because we're one of the most diverse denominations. We're either one or two in the country, and the United States is the most diverse country. So it is just amazing to see the diversity. Our ethnicities are diverse. Our music is diverse. Our messages are diverse. Where we meet and when we meet and what we do when we're together, it is so diverse. It's exciting. There is a diversity among our covenant churches that is reflective of the individuals that are a part of our covenant churches. And that's just exciting to be a part of that. You, it would be really hard to be a part of something that didn't factor in individuality. It really would, because we are such individuals. A quick example here. Let's do a show of hands. Have you done some basic strength test stuff before? Some of you guys have done some of that? Well, what, how many of you would say that you're more structured than you are spontaneous? How many are more structured than spontaneous? All right. How about more spontaneous than structured? Right, and thanks for waiting for me to <laughs> ask the question, right? All right, how many of you are more introverted than extroverted? 
and thank you for the courage that it took to put the hand up. All right, how many extroverts are there? There we go. Got a little woohoo from them. All right, that happened the first hour, by the way, when we did that. It was very fun. Um, how many of you are more thinking, more led with your thinking than with your feelings? How many more? All right. How about more feelings? Lead with the heart, baby. Let's go. Really, Mary, you lead with the heart, huh? That's awesome. Okay, so you see, if we did this, we're, we're different. Did you see how there was never a time when every hand went up? There was never a time when every hand was down. We're, we're wired differently when it comes to our temperaments. And our temperaments tend to be linked with our strengths. Every person has different strengths and a combination of different strengths. Let me just show you a, a real uh, classic example of that, or new classic. Um, here are two individuals uh, that are gifted in very different ways. We got LeBron James, and we got Albert Einstein. Now, can you imagine a culture in which people were telling LeBron, LeBron, you need more balance. You gotta spend equal time with academics that you do with athletics. You know, that, it's not that simple, right? Or conversely, can you imagine Albert Einstein in an NBA basketball game? He'd have his calculations. Now, if I stand at this place and I show this much force and, would, and the ball would be stolen and he'd get slammed on and it'd just be ugly, right? So we get it. We get it that Albert Einstein had certain strengths and certain abilities and certain gifts that he should be asked to embrace instead of trying to conform in the image of King James, all right? So, so we're different that way. Now, let me make this a little bit, let me blur the lines a little bit. Here are two people, two more people, who are both gifted on the ice, right? They're both gifted on the ice. Wayne Gretzky's called the great one. Because he's one of the greatest hockey players, arguably the greatest hockey player to ever lived. And we got Michelle Kwan, arguably one of the greatest skaters to ever done figure skating. So can you imagine if Wayne Gretzky had grown up in a home that said, hey, we are a figure skating family. And so I don't know what you're doing messing around with hockey, but we are figure, get those little, uh, those little, what on the figure skating, they have those little hooks on there, on their front of their skates. You got to get those little things on your skates, you know. And then conversely, can you imagine if someone, if Michelle Kwan grew up in a family where they said, hey, no, we are a hockey family. When you're on the ice with another girl, you check her, all right? You take her out. It, we have different strengths, and our strengths can even be that nuanced where we can both be great on the ice, but there's differences. And I want to present to you that God made us that way. He made us that way. We launched a new series last week that we're going to continue this week and next where we want to push into that, that idea that God has made us as individuals, and it would be crazy to expect that everyone's walk with God should look identical. That just seems like it doesn't make any sense. Our primary text for this series has been what's called the Book of Ephesians. It's a first century letter that's included in our Bibles. Um, and it says this. Here's a passage we looked at last week. Ephesians 2.10 reinforces this idea that we are God's workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, the ESV translation that we're using here is a pretty literal translation, and, and it's pretty literal translation to say we should walk in these ways that God has created us to walk in. So here's another thing that we said last week. I want to encourage you to write it down because it, it, we're going to build off of last week. God is the giver of these unique talents and temperaments. Can we 
stretch them? Absolutely, we should. Do they change somewhat over time? Absolutely, as God designed them to. But God is the giver of unique talents and temperaments. And, the, and, and this is true for us spiritually as well. This idea of a unique God-given spiritual temperament is new to many people. That's why in your notes there should be an insert that has uniquely yours across the top. It, gives a, it recommends a book to go alongside the book of Ephesians, not as equal weight. Which one trumps the other? Right? Ephesians, okay, trumps the other. But it's a good companion if you never thought along these ways. It's another way of looking at, at, uh, at, at this gifting that God has given us. And in his book, he, he um, describes nine different temperaments. I don't think these are exhaustive, but I think you can see yourself in more than one of these. Let's go through them really quick, some of the spiritual temperaments that he uh, describes. The first one is sensates, and that's called sensate because they fill their senses with the greatness of God. And when they do, they find that's especially helpful. If they can see a powerful image, it's like, oh, now it makes more sense. If they can hear a certain sound, now it makes more sense. Some of you, if you were here for a Good Friday service, sensates, we, you, this was a service where you got to involve more of your senses than normal. You got to pick up a hammer and drive a nail into a cross. You know, some people took advantage of allowing their feet to be washed. What a humbling experience. And so sensates come extra alive when they're able to involve their senses. Do any of you feel that that might be something that you gravitate towards? Okay, some of you, absolutely. All right, here's another one. Then there's um, aesthetics. Those have, people have discovered that solitude and simplicity are especially helpful for them. Now, for the record, every one of us in this culture would benefit from more silence, right? Every one of us would benefit from more simplicity instead of more complexity, right? So this, this has benefits for everybody, but some of us, and I'll put myself in this category, some of us, we crave more simplicity, and we crave more solitude, and, and we come more alive in those settings. Anyone else feel that they've got some of the, all right, a number of us do, okay? Next one, traditionalists. Traditionalists embrace historical rituals and symbols and sacraments and songs. Now, for the record, only a fool would neglect the best of the best that has been handed down from generation to generation. You'd be a fool to do that. The best thinking and the most powerful prayers and the most incredible songs, the ones that have stood the test of time, you'd be a crazy to ignore that. But there are certain folks that they can embrace them and they find them more life-giving than most people. They just, they, they come alive. It was hilarious at the, the covenant uh, meeting this year. They held it in one of our more conservative um, churches, Salem Covenant, Salem covenant right in New Brighton. And they've got this huge pipe organ. And here was this pastor and he had his cell phone out and he was taking a picture of the pipe organ. Like, wow, you know? Now, you may not be taking selfies with pipe organs, but how many of you would say, I love the old hymns and I love the traditions and I, how many, show of hands? All right, great. All right, next one, naturalists. I know we've got a bunch of you here. I know we do, a bunch of us, I should say. Naturalists believe the best sanctuaries are the ones that aren't built by human hands. And amen. And for the record, for the record, we need to get outside. If I could, I would require every member at this church to get around a campfire at least twice this summer. If I could, I would, I would mandate that you watch at least one sunrise or one sunset, if I could, you know, because there's great value. Scripture tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God. 
Now, naturalists, though, you know, we experience God best outside. There are things that we can see about God and we can experience as we feel the wind in our face and we stand at an ocean or, or we, we're on a mountain or, or some of you in the garden, you, you, you get these, these different images that are impressed upon you. How many of you outside time? All right, absolutely. Okay, here's a couple more. We'll go fast. Activists. Activists feel more spiritually alive when we confront evil and injustice. And again, let me give you a for the record. For the record, it would be pastoral malpractice for me to say that we can leave activism to the activists. Every one of us as a believer, if you're a believer, we are called to do justice. Love mercy and walk humbly. Every one of us. But there's something about this where certain of us, and I'm, I'm in this category too, where when we are confronting real problems in this world, we can experience the power of God in a different way. We feel connected with God when we're doing justice, when we're helping, especially the world's most vulnerable, right? How many of you in that category? All right, another one. Caregivers is linked to this, but a caregiver especially feels connected to God when they're serving, when they're loving, when they're caring for others, when they're in a hospital room with somebody, when they've got their arm around someone who's spouse or parent or child or someone close to them has just died. They also, a lot of times caregivers, they not only mourn with those who mourn, they rejoice with those who rejoice and they love to celebrate with people. Caregivers. Now, for the record, are we all called to be caregivers? If you're a believer, yes. But caregivers are especially, they come alive when they're serving others. How many of you? All right. Let's do another one. Contemplatives. Contemplatives resonate with this intimate imagery of God as a loving father or a bridegroom. And for the record, the Bible has some rich imagery there. We didn't just make up this idea of God as father. That's in the scripture. We didn't make up the imagery of the Christ as the bridegroom and the church as his bride. It's in there. And there's some people, they come especially alive when they press into those images. They can understand God better when they can picture themselves in God's arms. Some of you, contemplative? Press into those images? All right. Next one, enthusiasts. Can I get a woohoo? <laughs> I don't know if we have any real enthusiasts in here because real enthusiasts engage God with their heart and emotions, but some of them have good boundaries. They're not. They're trying to be respectful of the others that aren't. Yeah, got it. All right. Um, so, enthusiasts, I heard a number of preachers have said things like this. They said, you know, if you believe the Bible is good news, please inform your face right? And an enthusiast, you never have to tell them that because they are just, come on, this is real. And they can just have the feel the, that when they are going to express worship, they can enter in with their whole being, not just with their minds. Anybody here? <laughs> All right. <laughs> and then intellectuals. Oh, this, this is great. Intellectuals engage God with their minds, study, deep reflection, sound doctrine. How many of you were here last week? When James shared his uh, testimonial, he's, he's an intellectual. And it was awesome. I love James because James was up there and he's talking about how we can love God with our mind and we can seek God with our mind. And he started preaching to us. He's like, you don't have to turn off your brain to become a Christian. You know, it, we can engage God with our full mind. And, and it was just awesome. Intellectuals. Now, again, for the record, the Bible says a lot about sound doctrine. Every one of us, if you're a believer, you need to be into the word. 
be so that people can't twist God's word and, and take you off in different directions. So we all have to engage our minds, absolutely. But there are some of us, man, we love to dig in. We love to go deep. It's like you can't go deep enough. How many of you guys are in that category? All right, a lot. So do you see how this is? We never had a time when no hands went up. We never had a time when all hands went up. There is a God who has gifted us differently, and I'm so glad that we didn't have a situation where only a few hands went up. Because I hope, and we're going to get more into this next week, I hope we're trying to create a church where you can be the person that God created you to be together with others who God created as individuals. Some people come alive in different ways. And I'd encourage you to write this down. Again, this is something we said last week. You are the steward of your unique tips, talents, and temperaments. You're a steward of that. God has given you this gift. He's given you these abilities. He's made you the way he's made you, and you're a steward of that. And so what we want to try to do as a church, we're trying to say, here are some, some biblical principles. Here are some resources that you can take, some experiences that you could try that you may find help to bring you alive. I want to encourage everybody to keep trying, as I did last week. Try new ideas. Try new experiences. Experiment with new rhythms until you come up with something that makes you say, everybody should try this because it works for me. <laughs> Find something like that and then have the maturity to know that it may not work the same for other people, right? To, I, that's my hope. Everyone finds something like that. Now, we're going to turn a corner here. Are we all tracking so far? We're, we're all here. Now, it doesn't surprise me that we're tracking because we live in America. America is so much about individualism, individualism, individualism. So it doesn't surprise me at all that we're tracking with this. You may have never heard it or been given permission from a pastor before to explore that, but I think most of us track with it. Well, we're going to turn a corner here, and, and let me turn it by showing you this little diagram here. I think there was a time in church culture where this would have been revolutionary for most people. I'm just guessing. I, I, may, I don't have a stat. I'm just telling you. I, it just intuitively, it seemed like there was a day when a whole lot of churches were, were kind of sending this message. You may not have used these words, but they're kind of sending a message where if I am miserable, then God is happy. And maybe you grew up in a situation like that where they talk so much about sacrifice and denying yourself, and they talk so much about these things that the unintended consequence was, well, if I'm enjoying myself, this must not be good because God hates all things that are fun, and he loves to make us feel bad. So there was a day when I think just, my, this is more intuitive than anything else, but I think there was a day where there was a whole lot of this going on, not as overt teaching, but as the impression they were giving. Wrap your knuckles, you know, if you, if you were speaking up. You know, in church, if you wanted to be expressive, shh, we're worshiping, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing, right? So what I sense as I talk to people, as I interact with people, as I watch what's happening, as I try to be pretty astute when it comes to cultural stuff, at least trends. I don't know any of the music anymore. But if, it seems like today people have this assumption that if I'm happy, then God's happy. Is that fair? It seems like there's a whole lot more of this now than the other. That if it feels good to me, then that must be the way that God made me. If, if it feels good to me, then God wants me to do this. If it, if it feels right, then, then it can't be wrong. 
And so that's why I want to write, have you write this question down that I think is very, very, very important if you want to be a sincere follower of Jesus Christ, if you want to authentically pursue authentic Christianity, I, I want to encourage you to ask yourself this question. As you're pursuing authentic Christianity, is your spiritual pathway leading you to greater Christ-likeness, or are you just chasing experiences? I think that's an important question in our culture because it's so easy to start off with great intentions and maybe even a few scripture verses, but end up with, on a path that is not making you more like Christ. There are some characteristics of Christ that were so prevalent among God's people early on that they actually, when they first started referring to Christians, because Christians were now a thing, they used to call them the way. The way. We're going to look at the book of Acts uh, in two series from now. And, and, and it'll be interesting. I don't know if we'll, hopefully we can come across that and, and unpack that a little bit. They used to call Christians the way because there were certain things that were common to them. To all of them, no matter how different they were as individuals, there were some things that were common. And the things that were common were the things that were more like Christ. Here's a few examples. The Christians, they used to approach Scripture in a Christ-like way. And they approached worship in a Christ-like way. And prayer and priorities and money and possessions. Here's a few more. People back in the day, they used to approach Christ. And I'm talking early days, early years of Christianity. They approach relationships in a Christ-like way and discipleship in a Christ-like way and evangelism in a Christ-like way, service to others in a Christ-like way, compassion in a Christ-like way. It was all about Christ. How can we become more like him? How can we have more of the spirit of Christ flowing through our veins? In fact, the word in Christ, look how many times, just go online and do a search, how many times in Christ is used in the New Testament. Now, as I'm saying these words, some of you might be thinking, you're not even being consistent here, Pastor. You're not even being consistent. Because aren't you just talk, weren't you just talking about uniqueness? That God wired us all as unique individuals? Well, now you're telling us to conform. I'm telling you to conform, but conform to the image of Christ. And as you do, that doesn't kill your individuality. Let me give you some examples. Let's put the picture. So three different women on the screens. Who is the person that would be to your left? Who is that? Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa, who's now passed away, she was probably had a whole lot of spiritual temperaments in her, but, but the one that jumps out to me is she was gold standard for caregiver. Gold standard for caregiver. And as she pursued Christ with all her heart, soul, mind, and strength, that caregiver part just emerged and blossomed in her life. Next woman, the one in the middle. Anyone know who that is? Beth Moore. Beth Moore is arguably one of the greatest teachers out there. She has just got so much good stuff. Now, I haven't listened to all of her stuff. I'm sure there's things we might all disagree with or whatever, but she has a, can we agree on this? She's a gifted teacher, a gifted teacher. And I don't know her personally, but I if she is who she presents herself as, as she pursues God with all her heart, soul, mind, and strength, as she seeks to be more like Christ, she also is becoming more uniquely herself, which is very different than Mother Teresa. Does anyone know the person on the, be your far right? Carrie Job. Carrie Job, if she is who she presents herself as, she is a woman who is pursuing, her, the last song we sang was one of her songs, that she's a person who's pursuing Christ with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And as she does, the artistic part of her is alive and engaged. So we can pursue God we can pursue Christ-likeness with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and it won't make us look any more alike than, than you know, uh, Albert Einstein, 
and uh, I want to say Rick James, LeBron James, or Rick James for that matter, right? Yeah. Put those three in a room, that'd be interesting conversations. All right, let's, uh, what was I talking about? Oh yeah, let's add one more now. Let's add one more picture to the mix, one more woman. Who is the person we just added? Kim Kardashian. Now, I don't know what Kim Kardashian's great at, um, but she's great at whatever it is she's great at, uh, and, and she's got gifts and talents, okay? Now, she, stay with me on this, Kim Kardashian, she has been given gifts and strengths and aptitudes and temperaments, and she might be doing a lot of great things, I don't know, but I think it is, I don't think, it's safe to say that she is choosing a path that's very divergent from the way of Jesus. And so as she is pursuing things that give her life and that she's pursuing things that she really enjoys, she's doing that, but it isn't bringing her more in line with who God created her to be, the ways that she was created to walk. Is that fair? And I've been doing what I've been doing long enough to see that in people who are sincerely trying to follow Jesus. They're engaging in experiences that feel good to them that in the moment they feel close to God, but at the end of the day, they're not looking more like Jesus. Let me just give you two quick examples. One of them, I remember when I was, um, when I was first exposed to uh, enthusiasts in worship. I grew up at Cross of Christ Lutheran, and then I went to Our Savior's Lutheran, and as enthusiastic as they allowed us to be, we could stand up on certain songs when everybody would stand up, and then everyone would have to sit down. That was, that was us, right? I didn't know any different. I got exposed to these people who, um, who were just, cr when, when, it was, when worship would happen, when they needed to sing, the hands were in the air, and sometimes tears were coming down their face, and, and at different times, they'd literally be on the ground, and I'm like, wow, you must be, you and God are this, because I, I, didn't, I didn't even know that you can do stuff like that. Wow. Well, then um, a group of young adults and teens who were just the most passionate worship I ever saw, they, they invited me to go bowling with them. So we go to this bowling alley, and the songs that were being played in the bowling alley were not the songs that we'd sing in church. And they weren't just neutral songs. They were some pretty crass stuff, some stuff that really was dishonoring of God and dishonoring of who he created us to be and how we should relate to one another. And these same people who could sing with such enthusiasm when we were singing God's songs, what do you think happened in the bowling alley? I didn't see the tears. I didn't see my fall down, but, but they were singing with the same enthusiasm for those songs that they did with the God songs. And I didn't know the address at the time of the verse, but I'd been reading my Bible, and I remember this um, passage that the Bible said, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing my brothers and sisters. It should not be so. And, and I don't doubt the sincerity for a moment that those um, young adults and those teens, that they, were, they meant it when they were singing to God, but they needed more grounding. They needed to be stretched in some other areas to say, hey, brothers and sisters, it should not be so. Let me give you another example because I don't want to pick on any one kind of personality type. Let's talk about intellectuals because I'm a person, I, just, I, I need to know truth. I want to know truth. I'm hungry to learn and hungry to grow. I, I remember when I was first... Um, kind of thrown into being a pastor, and, and I was cutting my chops, giving messages, and a lot of you were there, and you put up with a lot of stuff that was even worse than this is, and, and I would get feedback, right? And I love getting feedback, and I still love getting feedback, but there was this one guy in particular, 
his feedback was really harsh and it was pointed and it, and and I remember one in particular where we had done a dedication where we had a, a, a young couple came forward with their baby and they asked us to pray and dedicate this baby to Jesus and the guy writes me an email and he says what you allowed to happen on there represents insidious something or another I'm like insidious hey you might believe in in infant baptism but insidious really it was insidious that this young couple brought their child to Jesus to ask for a blessing in the context of a church family? That's the word you're going with. <laughs> Insidious. And I didn't know the address at the time, but I knew something like this was in the Bible because I'd been reading my Bible. And as this young pastor who had never been to seminary, the word of God said, knowledge, what? Puffs up. Love does what? Builds up. Builds up. So I have no doubt that this man, when he was digging into the word, he wanted truth. I have no doubt in my head that sound doctrine mattered to him. But boy, he needed to get around some caregivers and a whole lot of other people, right? All right, Here, here's something that Paul writes. Paul, who wrote Ephesians, also wrote a letter to the Colossians. He said this. He said, and there's a place to write this in your notes, in Christ the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In Christ, the what? The fullness of God was pleased to dwell, which is why he prayed this prayer over the Ephesians. And we read this prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19, says this, For this reason, Paul prays, I bow my knees before the Father, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you too may be filled with the what? fullness of God. He didn't want us to be one-dimensional. He didn't want us to be like that Skittles commercial where the people in that one town have that one big beefy arm. You've seen that commercial, right? Man, I can do sound doctrine like this, and if you don't believe me, I'm going to rip you to shreds. No, it's not. You know, it's becoming more like Christ, who in, in, in with the fullness of God was in him. And that's going to involve, if we really are serious about that, sometimes that's going to involve stretching. Sometimes that's going to involve being exposed and trying things that maybe we wouldn't naturally try. I want to show you something. We've been looking at the book of Ephesians, right? There's a book called Acts that that's history, history of the early church. Acts 19, if you have your Bibles, open quickly. Acts 19, verses 1 through 2, says this. Paul passed through the inland country and came to where? Ephesus, the same people he was going to write to later here. Where, there he found some what? Disciples. Okay, so he goes to Ephesus. He finds disciples, people who are being discipled in the ways of God. It appears as though by John the Baptist himself. And he says to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, huh? Holy what? Holy Spirit? We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And Paul's like, let me tell you something. And the Holy Spirit comes upon the church at Ephesus, and now they were experiencing something they'd never experienced before. They had this stretching, this learning, this new thing come into their midst, and now they were experiencing more of the fullness of God. They were disciples in the ways of God, but they now had been exposed and stretched by something new. So the question is, 
what might you be missing out on if we don't try some of these things? And when I say try some of these things, I mean really try these things. Because most of us, you hop on a bike for the first time, I tried it, you know, me with keyboarding, keyboarding, you know, it was easier to go one letter, two letter, you know. It took me a long time to get them. It's been 25 years. I still don't know Spanish. I've been going down to Mexico 25 years, right? So did you try it or did you really try it? I want to encourage you to really try some things. What might you be missing out on if you don't? Let's go back to the book of Ephesians really quick. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 says this, and Christ gave, he gave apostles, and he gave prophets, and he gave evangelists, and he gave shepherds, and he gave teachers. He gave this diverse group of folks to us so that we could be exposed to a whole lot of things that would equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all attain, here's that phrase again, the fullness of Christ. God uniquely gifts individuals so that together, as the body, we can embody more of the fullness of Christ because none of us, no matter how much you train, you're not going to be equally proficient in everything. You're just not wired that way. Only Christ was. Together, we get the whole deal. But as individuals, to be stretched and grow and learn in more of these areas so that we can become more like Christ. I am so thankful for people who introduced me to different things over the years. I am so thankful. Not always at the time, but I'm so thankful now. I think about my early years. My early years at that really, really traditional church. At the time, I couldn't appreciate it because it seemed like we're saying the same creeds every week, same hymns. You know, now I look back, I'm like, oh, I'm so thankful that I was exposed to that because I could have been easily dismissive of all those things, those amazing hymns, those amazing prayers, those amazing creeds. I could have dismissed all that. I'm so glad that I was exposed to those things at an early age. And I'm so glad that my youth director drug me to Mexico. I didn't want to go to Mexico when I was a teenager. My friends weren't going. My one friend that was going, he put him in another room. I'm like, I don't want to go. But I'm so glad I did because there is nothing that I can think of right now that anchors me more to Christ-likeness than when I'm there interacting with the widows and orphans and trying to make a difference. I'm so glad that someone exposed me to that. And I mentioned earlier I'd never seen expressive worship until my youth director again. Is there a reason why we get youth directors in churches? <laughs> my youth director drugged me. And by the way, be watching your ECC mail this week. Just saying. Just saying. I had never seen expressive worship until my youth director drugged me to something called the Holy Spirit Conference, which is in the Minneapolis Auditorium. I saw this auditorium filled with all these people who were singing in a way that we didn't sing across the Christ Lutheran or our Savior's Lutheran. And it, it opened the door over time for me to be able to have freedom when I worship. So when I sing a song like, we raise our white flag, I surrender all to you, I don't feel like I have to be like this. I raise my white flag, I surrender all to you. If I want to be engaging with my whole body, I can sing with freedom and know that there's nothing wrong with me. I raise my white flag, I surrender all to you, you know? I have the freedom, and, 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 and I never would have known that. Or would have known that there's such a thing called real Bible study. 
Because in my churches growing up, we had something called a homily. I don't know what a homily is, but a homily certainly wasn't, in my churches, in-depth Bible study. I didn't even know you could study the Bible in depth. So I went to Bethel, Bethel College at the time, and I went into the bookstore, and they had something called a study Bible. And I'm like, this is the thickest Bible I ever saw. I opened up, and I'm like, no way! They're telling you what the Bible says, what it means. Are you kidding me? And then, no way, this verse connected to that verse? And then, what? What? And it opened this whole new door to the Bible is the most amazing book I've ever seen. And a person who wants to know and understand, it just opened whole new doors. I'm so thankful that I had a sister who encouraged me to consider where I went to school. And then in the covenant, in the covenant, they push pastors to get away. They push us to get away. And we push back and we say, we don't have time to get away. And they say, no, you need to get away. You got to go and you got to unplug your, your phone and your devices and you need to get alone, get, get quiet between you and God. And I'm like, I don't have time for that. And secondly, I was raised on a Sony Sports Walkman, thank you, the yellow ones. And why would I be silent when I could put a mixtape in my Sony Sports Walkman and listen to like all these songs that I had dubbed, all right? Why would I do? Well, now I crave those times. And I'm so glad that someone pushed me to give it a shot. So I want to encourage you, try some things. You just may find something that you never thought could be life-giving because you're like, that's not me. You just might find that there are things that are life-giving that you never would have considered before. And we want this to be a place where we're encouraging one another to try stuff, you know? And we'll talk next week, because next week is going to be, how do we do this together? Because can you do things that are just inappropriate in a large group setting? Yes. Can, can we have a service that equally meets the needs of 600 people? Every, no. So there's, there's got to be some just awareness issues, you know, health stuff going on here. But... Do we want this to be a place where we are really trying to encourage and equip people to pursue God the way he made us to pursue him? Without question. You know, and along the way, as you try things, I'll tell you that you're going to find stuff that doesn't work for you. Journaling works for some of my spiritual heroes. I've tried and tried. It doesn't work for me. You know, there's certain things that will work for you that don't work for me, but to try things. What we don't want to have happen is I'm saying this. And I think we said this last week. See these two guys up here, or Bob's? This is not the goal, to get grumpy people who, oh, let's just, we can't, you know, let's all try to do stuff that we all hate, so at least we have that in common. Let's all look the same. Let's conform the same way. That is not the goal. We want to encourage everyone, get into the city, if you haven't been into the city. Go to ACE stuff. Is our goal when we say go to the city to turn you into Tim Anderson? No, of course not. God made Tim Anderson to be Tim Anderson. We want to encourage everyone to try groups and to get into community. Is our goal to turn you into a Jennifer? No, we've got a Jennifer. She's great at what she does. We, even this today in worship, there were a couple times where Jill was stretching us. She's going, okay, now, you know, basically what she was saying without so many words is, we don't have the words on the screen. Make this song your own right now. We're going to stretch you like that. Is our goal to turn you into Jill? No, we've already got a Jill. And she's great at what she does. But we do want to try to expose you and stretch you to try some things that you may find are life-giving. And as you go down that path, here's the last caution. Our goal is not to turn you into Kim. Because there already is a Kim, and she needs Jesus. And there's 
people in your neighborhood and in your families that need Jesus. And if they don't see Jesus in you, and not some superficial Jesus, if the fullness of God is not real within you, then how are they going to know? And how are they going to see? Right? So that's what we're about. So our goal is to become more uniquely like Christ together, and that's what we'll pick up next week. Let's pray. God, we do thank you um, for creating this awesome world where we're not clones and we're not all the same. And I thank you for the richness um, that came out of the fall with languages and all these awesome things that just make life so exciting and so rich. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters and even myself that the discoveries that are yet to be made would be made. The rich moments with you outside or in community or at a hospital bed or, or engaging even in, in situations that would break our heart where we're meeting you and experiencing you and growing and becoming more like you. God, we pray that we don't miss out on any of that because either we're searching for stuff that just feels good, stuff that we already know, or stuff that we don't think could help. Help us to have the courage to try a lot of stuff. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us to the right stuff. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. There will be people that would love to pray with you right after service.